Hello and welcome to Yamaha Music's podcast, Artist Insights. My name is Phoebe Ely, and I'm going to be taking you behind the scenes to give you an exclusive insight into the lives and journeys of some of Yamaha's leading artists. Joining me today, I have got an award-winning international artist whose sensitive musicianship and astounding virtuosity have earned him recognition as one of the leading clarinetists of his generation. Having won the Woodwind Prize in the first ever BBC Young Musician of the Year competition at just 16 years old and going on to make his US debut at New York's Carnegie Hall at the age of 22. He has since performed as a soloist with many of the world's most significant orchestras and alongside this has established himself as a renowned chamber musician and conductor. Since his first performance at the BBC Proms, this incredibly talented artist has also got this distinction of being the most frequently invited wind soloist to perform there and has made numerous appearances at the renowned last night of the Proms. It is, of course, the incredible Michael Collins. Michael, it's such a privilege to speak with you today. Thank you for joining me on Artist Insights. That's a pleasure. It's great to be here. Oh, it's so, so lovely to have you. So you've had an exceptional career and I'd like to take you back to the very beginning of it, if I may, when yes. you were a young schoolboy who I believe had a very inspirational primary school headmistress, Miss York, who took a group of you to the Royal Festival Hall once a month to enjoy the Sir Robert Mayer concerts. Am I right? You're absolutely correct. But actually, Miss York, the headmistress, um, she uh, put me onto a violin to start with. Wow. And and I said, no, 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 it's not for me. I, I It used to give me an arm ache. And it was only when we went to the Sir Robert Mayer concerts at the Royal Festival Hall that I heard the clarinet in Rimsky-Korsakov, Scheherazade. And I said, that's the instrument I want to play. So from that day, I just haven't looked back, really. Oh, that's amazing. And can you describe the feelings that you got when you were first exposed to classical music? What went through your mind when you first heard the first note? You know, it's it's a really strange feeling because I actually can't remember a time being without classical music. I mean, my parents were not musical at all. Um, they obviously, you know, they encouraged me um, absolutely all the way. But I can remember from the very, very beginning, just sort of, I suppose it was just there. Maybe something to do with... Uh, uh, these little ladybird kids books you know oh, i remember one, the ones yeah. yeah yeah and there was one on mozart it was a sort of like a fairy tale just uh, you know the horse and carriages and oh. then go traveling the world composing and playing and uh, uh, i just remember then one day jumped out of my skin i can still picture it even now because it's his um, birth date 27th of january uh, 1756 and I'm, I, my birthday is the 27th of January. Wow. So I share, I, I just remember from that day as a tiny boy, just thinking, oh, yes, this is the composer I love. And so it, it's been with me from the word go. It sounds like a very natural immersion into music, into classical world. What a fabulous connection to Mozart you have. Incredible. And you worked, you went on to work very hard indeed. And fast forward to being 16 years old when you were presented with this incredible Woodwind Prize in the first ever BBC Young Musician of the Year competition. Can you yeah. talk us through that time and what the lead up to such a huge opportunity at that age looked like? Well, I, I should perhaps just take a little step back. I went to the local comprehensive school, in fact, and 
I was very nervous of letting on that I played a musical instrument, partly because it wasn't the done thing, you know, it should have been, you know, football, rugby and, um, and so on, but, and pop music. But so I did my music outside of school. So I went to the Royal College of Music on a Saturday. I, I went to local youth orchestras in Surrey, uh, the Wind Orchestra and the Youth Orchestra. So I did a lot of things outside of school. Um, the music teacher at school, Robert Stewart, um, who had this entry form for the BBC Young Musician of the Year, the very first one. And he said, have a go. Uh, I said, okay. So I, I filled in the form. And I just remember also having to, you had to fill in the repertoire for each round. And in those days, it was quite a different competition because there were quite a few rounds before you reached the final. So there was a local um, knockout round in your area and then a local final for your, you know, your area final. Yeah. Before you went on, to do um, a recital semi-final round, then a recital final round, and then three days later, if you got through, you know, the concerto. So I had to fill in the repertoire for the entire competition. And when it came to the concerto, I thought, well, I don't stand a chance. So I just went to my music cupboard and I saw this piece with the beautiful blue cover. So I thought I'll put that down. And it was by Gerald Finzi. Lo and behold, I, I got through to the finals and I had never learned the piece. So I had, <laughs> I had three days between oh the Woodwind final and the concerto final to learn this concerto to play in front of, I think it was then 13 million viewers, yeah. prime viewing on BBC One in those wow. days. Yeah, BBC One. How did you deal with that level of pressure? Because it's a big deal. 16. You know, I suppose as a kid, you're fascinated by television and watching television so to be part of tv it was was actually really a lot of fun the most uh, difficult part of it was in those days with the massive cameras of yes. course these days they're, they're much smaller but um, so they you know the lights were very uh, strong lights incredibly hot and big cameras that were moving around in front of you so um, you sort of found a way of concentration in a very different way from a normal concert. You had to find a way of blocking out all these movements that were going on around you. It was, in a way, that part of it was the most learning and the most educational part of taking part yeah. in the competition. Uh, winning, losing doesn't mean a thing. Um, I just think, um, well, we can go into that uh, later if you like, but I, all I know is that we were left to our own devices at the end of the competition because it was the first competition. They didn't know what to expect. I just remember, you know, the postman arriving with big sackfuls of letters. Amazing. Days, every day, you know, weird oh. ones, good ones, invitations to, for concerts. And wow. what do you do? I went out more to yeah. type. Right? So I was learning how to type, <laughs> you know, replying to a music club in Scotland. Yes, I'll come for 40 pounds and a cup of tea wow. sort of thing. So it was a... I mean, it's very, very different these days. The youngsters are, are looked after and yeah. um, helped along. But thankfully, I mean, I had a very, very wise teacher and he took control, uh, David Hamilton. And then, as did my teacher after David, uh, Thea King, she really kind of 
led the way. Yeah, and then you went on, didn't you, at 22, after that big explosion, uh, to fly off to America and make your debut at Carnegie Hall in New York. I just want to touch upon what, what did that time feel like and what were you feeling when you stood at the side of this really iconic stage? Yeah. What's going through your mind? Well, in between the BBC competition and the, the Carnegie Hall, I did another competition which, for me, had a lot more sort of clout to my career. And that was the Leeds National Competition for Musicians. And it was the, it ran parallel to the piano competition, the Leeds piano competition. Oh, of course. And it was for all the instruments other than solo piano. Yes. It doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it was the last one in 1980 when I did. And it was an absolute, I mean, that really was quite an ordeal. Um, it was really high powered. Um, a lot of musicians that are now household names like Nigel Kennedy, Stephen, yeah. they were in the competition as well. Wow. And I was really lucky. I won that competition. Can't believe it. Of um, course you did. Of course. I mean, I mean, as a, a mere clarinet player against violin, cello. Incredible. And, and that had a huge impact yeah. on my career. And actually Carnegie Hall uh, came as a result of, of well, no, it didn't even come as a result of that. That came as a result of winning a competition in New York after the league. After that. So wow. one thing kind of led to another. And yeah. I, I played the Mozart Clinic Concerto in, the, in Carnegie Hall, and that was really quite an experience, um, one I'll never forget. I mean, such oh, an iconic place. And, um, How do you do mentally prepare for that? Because it sounds like you really breezed through these compositions and were just on your absolute top form but how when it came to it and you're about to go on stage how did you feel in that moment it's really interesting I, I think when you're young certainly from I can speak from my own experience I had lots of strange emotions sometimes I'd be absolutely terrified and other times it would just the nerves that I had would be kind of an adrenaline and excitement I learned pretty quick, and, and I think I learned uh, a lesson very early on that nerves are a negative, a really bad thing to have. Mm. We all have them, but it's how you deal with them. Yes. And, um, and I soon realised that if I'm going to continue in this profession, I've got to do something about these nerves, and that is turn them on their head and make that sort of feeling that you're almost out of control into Ooh. something positive yeah how did you do that how did you flip them walking to yourself <laughs> all, all the day you know every yeah. day just walking along in the street um in the hotel room and saying yeah, you know, just finding a way that you, you you just you can change your mental approach to the whole scenario of, of giving a concert which can be terrifying it can be a very lonely experience yeah it's particularly in a concerto where you're standing in front of a great orchestra you know, with three thousand people on the other side you know in the yeah. audience yeah. and hanging on every note and um and it, it's this question i think particularly when you're young starting out it's what i call the the what if syndrome what if i do you know what if i fall off the note and what if you know i spray it against the wall all these silly <laughs> things, silly things that go on through your mind yeah. Now I can't be bothered. I mean, you know, we're, <laughs> we're human and a mistake happens. And I feel really, actually, that's also an interesting point that I, I do feel sorry for the younger generation now because um, the, the, 
technical part of music has reached such a high level that you know record listening to a recording is perfection itself and I've done many many records so I know what it's like listening back and I know that I'm not going to play like that in a concert yeah. so in a way it's conning the public a bit <laughs> don't actually play like that in a concert that when yeah. you hear the perfection so that's exactly uh, what I sort of tried to tell myself make something positive of them yeah and and, and I have done that and uh, yeah I, I get nervous so but I can now say it's excitement. And they're essentially the same thing, adrenaline. So that's a yeah, great thing. It. It. Completely. And you have performed at some incredible venues throughout your career. We've just listed a few of them, but you've also had the opportunity to perform to very distinguished individuals such as the royal family. Am I right in that you performed many times for the Queen Mother at private events? And if so, what was it like to perform and share your talent in such an intimate setting with the royal family? Yeah, well, actually, the first time I had this invitation to to play in Windsor for the Queen Mother, uh, she had seen me actually in the BBC competition. Oh wow! <laughs> I had this uh, well, invitation to to go and play, give a recital um, at the Royal Lodge in, in Windsor. Um, it was actually with. Princess Diana's grandmother, who was the Queen Mother's lady in waiting, was Lady Fomoy, Ruth Fomoy, played the piano for me. Yes. Um, she trained as a concert pianist. Um, and it was fascinating because, you know, that wonderful old black and white film, Brief Encounter. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Celia Johnson, the actress, and she was there reading poems in between the pieces. So I'd play a piece and then she would read a poem. And uh, it was. It was quite, it was very unreal for me to arrive at at Windsor and meet the Queen Mother in in an informal setting, it was a family setting, and um, talk about the pieces I was going to play and see, you know, life in a very natural way. Uh, And then just before the concert was to start, it was just a few house guests, yeah. um, Lord Sainsbury and Frederick Ashton, the choreographer. The door opened and in walked the Queen and Princess Margaret. Um, They came to surprise them because it was Mother's Day. So I was terrified, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely terrified, um, because I was the sort of first person in the line to the Queen came over to me and asked me what I was going to do. I said, play the clarinet, Your Majesty. And, and then we actually had a really, really great evening. I had a, a, a lovely long conversation with Her Majesty after the, the, the concert. And uh, she wanted to have a go on the clarinet even. Oh, on the wow. Oh, what an incredible... I didn't allow it. Uh, <laughs> the right thing to do. But, uh... You kind of have to if it's the Queen, surely. Uh, <laughs> um, so... Do you remember any conversations from that evening? That you, and have you carried any of those with you throughout your career? Well, actually, yes, I, I do. But, and it was the one we were talking about. Um, I was very young again and uh, really quite green, I suppose. <laughs> and, and she said, do you get nervous <laughs> for performing? I said, well, I'm kind of learning how to deal with nerves. I said, so I, I get more excited you know, for a performance than nervous. I said, although on this occasion, I'm terrified. <laughs> and the Queen said, why? I said, well... Playing for you, Your Majesty. It's, but she said, "Why?" And and I came out with the most ridiculous comment. I said, "Well, I've only seen you on money." 
I think that was nerves speaking. Yeah, I just it came out with the most ridiculous comment. No, that's a brilliant <laughs> That's a comment I shall never forget. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure I too. I love that. That's fantastic. Oh, what a memory. And you have, you went on, obviously, to perform all over the globe with many of the world's major orchestras, including the Philadelphia, NHK Symphony, Symphony, uh, Sydney Symphony, Leipzig Gewandhaus, City of Birmingham Symphony, San Francisco Symphony, the list is never ending. But if you could pick one performance to go back in time to and relive all over again, what would it be and why? Oh, my goodness. Now, that is a tough question. Only one. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many, I suppose, that, that have a real lasting impression. Oh, now, this is really tough because... I suppose each, when I've worked with these great orchestras, it's been uh, for a particular reason with particular repertoire in mind. Um, I do remember one that, that, that sticks out in my mind was with Leipzig, the Gewandhaus Orchestra, yes. a truly, truly great orchestra. And I was playing Mozart clarinet concerto. And playing in Germany is a very different experience from playing in a lot of other countries, partly because the way an audience responds. Mm. Let's say over here, if you're at the proms or even in the Royal Festival Hall or wherever, and you get to the last note and it's a big ending to a concerto, you know, the applause is immediate and the, the roars yes. are immediate. In Germany, there tends to be a little bit of a gap and then they start clapping politely. Oh. And this was quite a new experience for me. I thought, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, they obviously, they didn't like it. And I bowed. And then it was like the sort of volume being turned up in the hall. And then just there was a sort of whoosh and the whole audience then stood up. And it's, I know that happens a lot, but to see that happen, just sort of unanimous response. Yeah. Sort of very different from... Um, an oral response when you know the clapping and is wild and a lot of cheering. This was a sort of very different, and that somehow it touched me. Um, that kind of response. Um, so that's a performance I will remember really fondly. So wonderful! It's like they just obviously had to take a moment because they were so affected to be able to process. It's just yeah. I can imagine that feeling. Maybe that's what it is. It's um so difficult to pinpoint what makes a performance work and and in my view I think you know maybe it, that was a really good performance and yet it doesn't transmit to the audience. I wonder you describing that moment and how special it was to you what happens when you are in the middle of one of your favourite pieces that you know so well it's part of your soul what happens to you on stage where do you go to mentally? Oh wow that's a difficult one again a lot of it is repertoire based you know uh, I remember for instance the first time one of the first yeah no it was the first time I played the quartet the end of time by Olivier Messiaen yes. and he was sitting two feet away from me in the in the front row I couldn't help but during this 45 minute piece it completely transported to another dimension he was sitting just there and next to me and 
playing this piece, knowing the background, knowing the story behind the piece. It just felt a really strange feeling that, that towards the end of the piece, which anyway is, is the most breathtaking moment, the violin and piano movement. Yes, and yes. I'd left my seat and I was sort of levitating and, and going up. It was really, and I had to hold my seat to the fear of I was sort of leaving it. The power yeah. sometimes of, of, of a performance and, and, and the effect it can have. Um, and that can be terrifying. Mm. It really can, because what you don't want to do, I suppose, is, is you don't want to show your emotions to that extent in front of the audience. You feel you have to, you know, keep a tight rein on things. So yes. it's a very strange feeling of having to sort of take control of those emotions when you are getting carried away by the moment. Absolutely. It's that fine line, isn't it? Because they're paying for this wonderful performance and you've got to have a certain level of control over what you're doing so that yes. you can do your job that you're there to do. I fully understand that and can really relate to it. And as I mentioned before in the introduction, you're not only a successful soloist, but you also went on to have a very established career as a chamber musician and conductor. And yeah. I'm wondering, how different does conducting and playing within an ensemble feel to performing solo? And what does it give you that you can't necessarily get from solo playing alone? That's an easy one to go into detail, actually. When you're a soloist, particularly concerto soloist, you only have yourself to blame <laughs> if something happens. Yeah. Or you can congratulate yourself if it works in a positive way. Chamber music, you really are. It's teamwork. It's yeah. a effort. Um, I was very fortunate from a young age I joined the National Ensemble which really was then and still is um, Britain's sort of premier chamber ensemble and so I was going around the world with them playing all these great chamber works uh, in, in fantastic halls with wonderful wonderful musicians and that was such a learning curve, probably one of the biggest for me. Uh, I learned so much about teamwork, uh, how to express yourself without being selfish, mm. if that makes sense. It does. Uh, because when you are just a soloist, you can become incredibly selfish mm. um, because it's my way or no way, you know. Yeah. <laughs> And when you're playing chamber music, you have to have radar, you know, radar. You have to be visually and orally be taking in what's going on around you and respond really quickly. It's like a, a fantastic game of tennis, I suppose. You know, someone hits a really good ball to you. You've got to try and hit a, a <laughs> ball back just as well, if not better. You know, yeah. it's... A, it, it's I love chamber music. Chamber music for me is still my number one passion. Wow. Yeah. 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 And then somehow a natural progression went on to conducting. <laughs> a difficult one with that one because I'm not a, a, a maestro in any shape or form, but I do know that I have something that I can connect with orchestral musicians mm -hmm. because. I played in an orchestra myself, you know, with yes. the Philharmonia Orchestra. So I know what it's like to be that side of the fence. And I know what um, the musicians of the orchestra are looking for in a conductor. And it does, you, 
you know, you don't have to be Herbert von Karajan or Simon Rattle or whoever to, to get these, um, your points of view across. If you, if to me, being a conductor, it's just a sort of, it's making music together. It's not dictating here, this is how it goes. Let's make this music together and I'll guide you. It's been a lovely kind of journey. It's not my number one priority. Uh, playing the clarinet still is my love. I love conducting. I'm very careful about what I'm conducting and who I'm going to conduct. Maybe I'm oversensitive as a musician and, and I know that orchestras can be very tough. And if it's going to be a tough orchestra, knowing that they're going to just pull me up on every little <laughs> corner, then I'd rather not be there. So, yeah. How yeah. do you deal with those experiences if you have come across those experiences? Obviously, you know, there's that feeling of you have to have a really thick skin in this industry to be successful and deal with these sorts of criticisms. But how have you personally dealt with them throughout your whole career? You've got to have a tough skin. Just, there's no question about it. Uh, you've got to be thick skinned. If you don't, then they will see those cracks and get right into the, you know, like a, a salt, sort of pouring salt into a wound. It, it really is. So you need to have almost, it's, it's theatrical, you know, it's acting. You must sometimes almost feel, you know, that you're acting the big, um, being the big person, being the, the grand person, when you're not, in fact. But if, if, if you give this air, and, and that's where it gets very difficult, because if you go too far, then you can see, oh, that person's big-headed or arrogant or whatever. And if you don't do enough, then they'll walk all over you. Mm. But to find that middle of the road is really, really tricky. And I'm still learning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It is one of the most difficult parts of the industry, I think, that definitely you're in. It's one of those big, big things that different people deal with in different ways. And you have had an exceptionally, we you know, we've talked about conducting, we've talked about chamber orchestra. Um, you've had an exceptionally varied and successful career, Michael, but I am aware it has not been without its challenges. And I know you've talked really openly about your diagnosis of colon cancer yes. two and a half years ago. And I'm wondering what effect did that have on both your performing and also your perspective of life at that point in time? I know I'm a fighter um, and um, that's who I am, I suppose. And um, the strange thing about it, I didn't feel ill at all. It's just that I, I was actually given a concert in Dublin. I went for a drink after a after the performance with a friend and she's a doctor and she kept asking me am I feeling okay I said yeah I'm fine but she persuaded me to go see my doctor and of course that was on the Saturday so I went home on the Sunday thinking there's something wrong with me because I suddenly felt maybe I'm not okay <laughs> I never thought yeah. about it really so I went to the doctor on the Monday and a week later, I was in um, the hospital in London and Harley Street having this big operation for, for a tumour, yeah. And then it has kind of gone everywhere in other places as well. And so they took all the bits out and then six months of chemotherapy as well. And I'm really proud in a way because I didn't cancel one concert. I read this and I was just astounded. What an incredible achievement. How did well, you do that? I was told not to play for about three months. <laughs> and after three weeks, I went to Japan and then America. Uh, I could barely carry the clarinet case because of the big scar. Yeah. And um, anyway, I was fine. And then 
I remember even during the, one of the sessions of chemotherapy, I they disconnected me to the, and um, I finished the chemo and I got on a flight to Melbourne. I did oh six concerts with the Melbourne Symphony playing and conducting, came back and had another dose of um, chemotherapy. Oh so I just goodness. carried on. And uh, yeah, there were times I felt a bit rough, but it was no worse than feeling, you know, sometimes when you've indulged enjoyed a little glass too many <laughs> so I knew how to sort of handle feeling rough and yeah. <laughs> oh you're such an incredibly strong soul and such an inspiration I know to so many listening you will be a huge inspiration and now I know it's not only music that's the love of in your life you're also as you slightly picked up on there you're an avid car enthusiast and fine wine lover how did those hobbies help your re relaxation off stage and if you had to pick only one car to drive for the rest of your life and one fine wine to drink what would they be and why oh testing you now <laughs> okay uh, when i moved into a, one of a house a few many years ago i was cleaning out the garage and at the back of the garage, there was a crate of wine. And it was a, all the, the, a, a case of Chateau Latour, 1961. And, um, and I didn't know what to do with it, except <laughs> gradually go through the case. And it just, I thought, my God, I've never had such fine wine as this. And it, I kind of developed this, love you know for, for for really really fine wines so yeah. it would just be occasionally i would have a, a really nice bottle but what a treat yeah i loved it so much and in fact i i don't drink at all now so um so just the way it is isn't it i mean uh, so my love of enjoying wine has has as i could still appreciate it yeah and, uh, but i don't drink at all i've just decided that for my health and everything yeah. else is best not to Absolutely fair enough. So yeah, and I, I I shouldn't even talk about cars because I lost twelve all my points, and then uh, I'm, I was okay. to cut a long story short, I was allowed to drive with um, all twelve points. Oh, I, wow! Yeah, yeah, just <laughs> for all sorts of reasons. And now, I've, uh, second time around, I've got nine points on my license. Oh I'm not clear, so I have to be extreme. I'm putting I'm not a fast driver. Well, I don't think I am. I just think it's, a lot of it is bad luck. I didn't yeah. realise that there are so many cameras around. Because <laughs> 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 a, a lot of my driving is um, at odd hours. I, I got um, six points in one journey. I was driving back from Edinburgh to London through the night. Well, of course, when it's roadworks, and I'm the only car, and it's saying 50. Really? Uh, yes, and it really is, really. <laughs> so I've learned my lesson. <laughs> I love that. And moving back to music now, we're all moving into this new world and industry. And yeah. I'm just wondering, what does that industry look like to you, Michael? And where would you like to be five years on from now? You know, I think, in a way, this enforced break uh, for so many professions, not just, of course, not just the music one, but for lots of professions. But I, I think it's been a really, it, it's gonna have a positive, positive effect for, in yeah. the music world. I do think it was getting slightly out, out of hand, the profession. In um, what way? <sighs> classical music 
and I'm really not a snob and I'm not an old fashioned person, but I am not, I wasn't terribly keen and the way it was going towards the sort of pop culture um, right. way of promoting musicians on how they look and you know I think after this you know this this blip if you like it's a pretty awful blip but I, I think the profession will come back much fresher revived and in a way a much fairer <laughs> um, more equal you know so I hope that, that things will level out as um, as we come out of this pandemic mm -hmm. and, and the you know the the concerts come back, and I think there'll be a, a much greater understanding and appreciation for what we're doing as well. Yeah. Because I suddenly realised that we need the audience. My God, I've realised yes. that now. Maybe taking it for granted, you think, mm -hmm. you know, well, here we go again, walking out in front of another two thousand people. But my God, how you miss them when they're yeah. not there! Absolutely. So there really will be an appreciation all round. I think. Definitely. And what about five years from now? What do you see for yourself? Where do you see yourself being? Well, I always say, you know, that there's, it's like an animal that sheds its skin every, <laughs> I don't know, however many years. Um, I, I always like to feel that I want to be doing what I'm doing better. And each transition into another part of my life I feel I want I, I love what I do passionately and I want to do it better and that's why uh, I think a lot of people ask well why is he recording you know the the a lot of the standard repertoire for the third or maybe fourth time in my musical life and and that's my answer because I know I can do it better I mean, I'm about to re-record the Mozart clarinet concerto. Oh, fantastic. This is going to be my third or fourth, I can't remember, maybe fourth time. Mm -hmm. But um, I know that this, I really feel ready to do it this time. Mm -hmm. So I feel I've got something to say about it from beginning to end, mm -hmm. rather than maybe going through the motions and making a good recording. This time I feel I want to put my own stamp on it, that I feel that I I know how, how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> It makes perfect sense. I think it takes a lot of time and it's very, very, very courageous of you to, like you said, not just do it once and that's it. It's out there. It's continuing that you can never reach perfection, in my opinion, anyway. That's it's, right. all, it's all yeah. about learning and continuing to build. Michael, I've loved speaking with you today and hearing your incredibly wise perspective on life and music and your career, but I have reached my final question, which is what yes. piece of advice would you give to an 18-year-old Michael? Take your time. The musical life is a very long, it's not a five-minute um, flash in the pan, you know. <laughs> it's not about achieving fame fast and earning the quick buck. Uh, it's climbing a ladder and it's Climbing that ladder takes time. You can't miss out any of the rungs. If you do, you can have a nasty bump on the way down. So I, my advice would be slowly, slowly, slowly take each step as it comes. And in a way, that's why I have a, such a passionate thought perspective on, on, on a lot of these competitions that are out to just to 
promote the youngsters, use them until the next one comes along. And it's such a shame because they're great musicians. They need to learn how to be wise in life. And you can only do that from experience. And that takes time. I love that. Thank you so much for joining me today on Artist Insights. You have been an absolute joy. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to learn more about Yamaha and our artists, please do tell your friends about the show and subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. We'll see you next time for another episode of Artist Insights with Yamaha. Yamaha.